Welcome to the Friday Night Clive podcast with me, Clive Payne. In this podcast, we look back at the amazing charities, organisations and people we have chatted to over the past few months, all of whom have interesting and important stories to tell. This week is Alcohol Awareness Week, which is coordinated by the charity Alcohol Change UK, with public health teams, workplaces, GP surgeries, pharmacies, hospitals, charities and other community groups signing up to take part. The year's theme is Alcohol and Costs and looks at the harm caused by alcohol, which affects millions of people every year in the form of health problems, financial worries, relationship breakdown and family difficulties. With me to tell us more about the issue use around alcohol is Debbie and she joins me on the line now. Good evening Debbie. Good evening. Thank you very much for joining me this evening. Uh, Debbie first of all tell us about you, your experiences of alcoholism and also about your programme on our sister station Black Country Extra. Okay firstly Clive thank you very much for having me on your show tonight. I really appreciate that. Um, simply I am a member of Alan on Family Groups and um, most people, professionals, for example, the people in the community, do not know or have not heard of Al-Anon. Um, and really, the purpose of being on here tonight is to bring some awareness that, um, firstly, there is a um, fellowship, a mutual aid for family and friends of problem drinkers so you don't need to be an al you don't need to define somebody as an alcoholic to come to Al-Anon and from my personal experience I grew up in a house where I didn't really understand what the issues were I knew we weren't right um, and as time went on I later learned that alcohol played a huge part in our dysfunctionality. My dad, I absolutely adored my dad. He was a great big man and he was funny and kind and generous, but he drank too much and that was very problematic. I had an uncle, his elder brother, and he, my dad was a functioning drunk. Mm -hmm. So uh, there are many types of drunks. Um, but my dad was a functioning drunk. He went to work. My uncle, his elder brother, wasn't a functioning drunk. He was the stereotypical trump that you would see in the street, you know, with the nose that moved from left to right and back to centre again. Um, scars on his head, dressed in boots that were too big for him, a coat that was tied up with string. He smelt horrendous. You know, he mm. smelt of mothballs. And I'm talking about in the 60s now, where really down and outs and drunks used to acquire their clothing from the Salvation Army. So they reeked of mothballs. Mm. And that smell today, on the odd occasion that I get the smell of a mothball, it takes me directly back to being a little girl sitting next to my Uncle John. Mm. And unfortunately, my uncle um, was murdered as a result of... Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Um, ...an alcoholic brawl. It was a very long time <clears> ago, <throat> but for a young child, it's a very traumatic event. Mm. How old were and you also, at the time, Debbie? Do you know what, Clive, if I'm to be absolutely truthful, I can't tell you, but I was probably in my, my early teens. Right, OK. You know, it, it's a substantial time. Mm. Um, 
eight to substantial time ago. Yeah, so probably in my early teens. But the, the thing about it was, is that my uncle died and he wasn't really spoke of ever again. Why? You know, and, and his death. Because the thing with problematic drinkers and dysfunctional families is that people hide things. They carry shame. They are very secretive. You know, my my uncle was murdered, but he was mutilated. And obviously, my parents decided that was something that you don't speak to your children about. No. No. You know, it's a bit too graphic. Is it fair to say, though, that somebody can be alcohol-dependent and you or I or anybody else may be completely unaware because it's invisible? I think for some people that may be true. I think on reflection, we see the red flags, we see the telltale signs, but our brain tells us, no, that's not the case because our loved one goes to work or they they function very well or they're high performing, you know. Um, I think our brain deludes us into the fact of making excuses for somebody's behaviour. So if you've got a young person who um, seemingly is drinking too much, we say, oh, well, they're only young ones. Oh, they've got their life to live. If you've got uh, an older person who drinks, you know, it might be, well, they've been to work all day or they're having a really difficult time. If somebody's had a death, well, you know, they've had a death. You can understand why they might be drinking more. So I think we tell ourselves a, a narrative that that person isn't alcohol dependent. Um, because really, I think we're full of fear if that person were alcohol dependent and what role would we have to play in it? Mm. That's my understanding, Clive. How would you define the word alcoholism? Okay, so (laughs) I'm only a lay person. Um, You know, I'm a member of Al-Anon who's been greatly affected for generations by um, alcoholism. For me, I would define alcoholism as somebody having a problem with alcohol, a problematic, difficult relationship, an unhealthy relationship with alcohol. And therefore, it has a knock-on effect with me. Now, somebody who is alcohol dependent doesn't have to drink every day. They don't have to get up and drink first thing in the morning. You know, there are all types of different dependencies. And, you know, some people binge drink, Mm. but they can still be alcohol dependent. And it's a progressive illness. And as people become more in need and compulsed to drink, then their behavior with drinking becomes, their patterns change, you know. So I I don't think we need to be too, um, I don't know, hit up about somebody being alcoholic. I think what we really need to to look at is, is somebody's drinking a problem? Is it a drink? Is it a problem for you and your family? Okay, well, we'll come on to the... If it is, then obviously that's when you need to think about, well, where do I get some help from? Sure. We'll come on to the impact it has on families and and loved ones in a second. Uh, But you were saying earlier on that anybody can be a member of Al-Anon, can't they? Yeah. So 
The criteria to be a member of Al-Anon is simply that you have been affected by somebody else's drinking, whether that's presently or in the past. It's as simple as that. And just a, a little bit of background. Um, Al-Anon was started by the wives of the founder members of AA. So Al-Anon has been around in, in one form or, or another for a very, very long time. And they were concerned of the impact upon the family, the loved ones, the children. So actually, Al-Anon um, has a, had a presence in England for 72 years. Gosh. So the NHS is 75 years old at the moment, but Al-Anon in, in the UK is 72 years old. So we're kind of a well-kept secret, really, and, and that's one of the wonderful things about you allowing me to come on the show is to raise some awareness of what Al-Anon is and who it's for. So basically, it's for anybody who has been affected by somebody else's drinking. And within Al-Anon, there is a specialist arm, which is called Alatine, which was started in 1964 for young people between the age of 12 and 17. So up until you're 17, you can go to Alatine, and then from 18 onwards, you can go to Al-Anon. Okay, so it's uh, you know a, a wide democratic democratic service, demographic service rather that that, that you offer. Um, Absolutely, it's, it's a mutual aid, and it actually it, it, you know alcoholism doesn't have any barriers, it doesn't have any discrimination, no. and nor does Al-Anon. It's open to all. If somebody listening to this feels that they may be alcohol dependent more than they would like or they know somebody who they believe to be uh, having a problem with alcohol in some way or another how on earth mm -hmm. do you go about broaching the subject tactfully with them because people may be in denial about it or people may acknowledge and, and, and recognize that they have a problem but in order to offer that support I wouldn't know where to start. So what do you do? So I, I think if we sort of take that part by part, hmm. if the person has got a problem and they earnestly want to do something about it, they've got lots of avenues to go to. They can go to AA, they can go to SMART, they can go to rehab. You know, they've got lots of, uh, of um, courses of action that they can take. For us, we don't really have to question somebody about their drinking. I mean, we generally we do because that's what we think we should do at the time. Mm -hmm. You know, we smell their breath, we, we check their phones, we, you know, look for bottles and, uh, you know, and empties and things, we count them, etc., etc. But basically, once you start coming to Al-Anon, you realise that all of those efforts are absolutely futile. They don't do anything. They can actually antagonise the situation. So... Really, we learn a more sort of hands-off approach about the drinker. And we learn to, to look at our part in the situation. What do we do that possibly inflames the situation? Uh, what do we do that's not good for us, what's not healthy? It really, so Al-Anon is really about the family, the friends, the loved ones, the relatives. And, and, and how we take care of ourselves, whether that person is drinking or whether they're not drinking, whether they're in recovery, whether they're not in recovery, or whether they're seeking help. It's, 
have I explained that well? You have, you? yeah, yeah, I get that. Um, but I mean, where, what should be the first step that we take then? I mean, do we need to go to a GP for a referral to an appropriate partnership agency? Or is that something that Al-Anon or AA can deal with? And I'm not talking about the motoring organisation, obviously. <laughs> yeah, so... You don't need to, to come along to Al-Anon. You don't need to be referred by your GP. You don't have to have any conversations with any professional. You don't have to fill out a form. You don't have to give any disclose any details. You simply need to find out um, the number to contact the free phone helpline or the website address. Have a little Google, learn a little bit more about Al-Anon and what it does do and see if you might be interested in pursuing, um, you know, a line of inquiry about what help is available for you, for your children, for your, you know, your nieces, your nephews, whoever may be affected. You okay. know, so there is no need, so there's no, there's no delay, you know, literally... Tonight, Clive, somebody after listening to this show could ring up the free phone helpline, find a meeting, whether that be in person, whether that be um, on Zoom, and then they could attend tonight or tomorrow. It's really that simple. And our only suggestion is that people attend for six meetings. And the reason for that is when you get there the first time, you're going to be full of fear and a bit of anxiety. You may be angry because of what's going on at, at home or in your home life. Um, so it's to give you, to pace you and, and for you to see whether it's of any benefit. And the suggestion that we make about coming to six meetings, the family meetings, um, is the same suggestion that, Alla, uh, uh, sorry, that AA suggests to newcomers as well. Um, it's, it's, it's really, I mean, but everybody knows about, uh, you know, Alcoholics Anonymous. It's a family name. Sadly, most households don't know about Al-Anon family groups. So how does your work differ from the AA then? Because people would think, oh, well, I'll just go to Alcoholics Anonymous. But, you know, Al-Anon, from what you've said, is quite different. So, you know, are there any parities between the two? Oh, absolutely. So a, a little bit of history about AA. Two chaps started AA, Bob and Bill. Um... They had previously been to a a support group of mutual aid called the Oxford Six, and I think there was a chap called Carl Young, who was a philosopher, who was involved in that. And they created six steps. Um, And those steps helped Bill and Bob to get sobriety. So Bill and Bob sat down with their two wives, Lois and Anne, in their kitchen, and lots of good things happened in kitchens. And they decided that, Really, to help their husbands, they needed to support them and they needed to find a way to support them that didn't sabotage their recovery but also didn't detract from them, didn't um, exhaust them because loving and caring or living with somebody who's a problem drinker can be physically draining, mentally exhausting, emotionally wearing and it can also affect you financially. So really, the premise of Al-Anon is a way to protect yourself. It's a way to look after yourself, to care for yourself, to learn to put you first. Because when you're involved with somebody with an addiction, 
you find that you give your time, your energy, your focus goes to that person and their compulsion. We become obsessed about their addiction, really, their compulsion. Mm. And Al-Anon is a very gentle program, a way of recovering yourself back. Um, and we have 12 steps if you choose to work them. And they're derived from the AA program. So, yes, there's similarities. You could actually say that's the brother fellowship and we're the sister fellowship. I'm with you. Ah, oh, that that makes sense. Um, Debbie, take me back to when you were this girl in your early teens and you were aware of the issues with your father and your uncle. What effect did okay. that have on your mental health? And, of course, you would have been at school then, so the impact that it had on your life and your educational journey that you were going through at that time. Okay, so if I'm to be really open, Clive, and I would say I absolutely adored my father. His drinking really wasn't the issue for me. My mother's mad behaviour and her mental health were probably the issues for me personally. And it turns out that my mother was the daughter of a violent, deviant alcoholic. Now, I didn't know that then. I didn't know it for many, many years uh, afterwards. My grandfather wasn't really spoken about. I didn't meet him. I don't know when he died. I don't know where he's buried. Um, I don't know anything about him. or And I don't really know anything about my grandmother other than she died probably before my mother was two years of age and she was the youngest child. Mm. Um, so my mother kept secrets. She wasn't vocal. She didn't speak of things. Um, she could be really pleasant and kind, and then the next thing, she'd be a raging inferno. You know, um, a yo-yo from one extreme to the other. And those, I've come to learn, are very usual characteristics of what's called an adult child. And an adult child is actually an AA term, and it simply describes somebody who is an adult now, but they are a child of an alcoholic. So the damage that's done to you in your formative years still has a knock-on effect as you grow up. So I would have been damaged in my formative years, but I preferred my dad. I much preferred my dad. And I liked my Uncle John, although I would have been embarrassed by him. Um, but my Uncle John was really... He always carried a Gideon's Bible and I came to learn that when you lived in the Salvation Army and you used to have to go to these hostels and queue to get in and then you were given one night's board and then you were sent away first thing in the morning and it, you had to redo that over and over again, you know, if you wanted shelter, um, that you were given a Gideon's Bible by the Salvation Army. So he always had one of those and he used to have a book of poetry. Now, we're, I'm from an immigrant family. You know, there weren't books in our house. Uh, nobody read poetry. Um, nobody read books. Neither of my parents were particularly... But my father boarded on being illiterate. My mother was um, more educated. Uh, but my Uncle John, who had actually been in a reformed school because he broke a window and his parents couldn't afford to replace the glass mm. because it was so long ago, you know, and, and they lived in abject poverty. Um went to a reform school where he actually suffered terrible abuse. 
and as a result his mental health was just very damaged and that's how he self-medicated with alcohol again i learned this years later but yeah there would have been a lot of trauma there would have been a lot of trauma my mental health would have been fragile um and not only my mental health i've actually come to realize that from a very early age i actually had what we would term as irritable bowel um because I would have been living on my nerves, walking on eggshells, wondering if my dad would come home. Would he bring his wages home? Would he have lost them uh, betting? Would he have gave them away to somebody else who, who he thought needed money? Would he have loaned it to somebody else? Would my mother and father fight? Um, and this is in the days before microwaves or anything like that. And he used to have a dinner. You know, if you wanted to keep somebody's dinner warm, you used to have a pot of hot water on on the cooker and and the place be on the top you know and it would be bubbling away gently and you'd be wondering whether the dinner's going to go up the wall and and things like that so I, i've come to realize that my irritable bowel probably started very much when i was a child mm. you know that was that was how it, it, it affected me physically and we've now learned as years have gone by that mental health and physical health are really closely linked together so yeah i would have had um, some damage to my mental health which would have carried on um, I would have carried with me throughout my life but what I will say is that when you're the child of an alcoholic you try to be a perfectionist you try to think ahead and project what's going to happen and you want to be good so that doesn't happen so there's no upset in the house so there's no riots, so there's no abuse so there's no violence so there's no angry words you know and was um, that your coping mechanism yeah yeah it's a survival mechanism mm. absolutely yeah. now absolutely. al-anon features some podcasts on your website doesn't it um we'll come on to, to that, the website itself in a second tell me about the podcasts and who's created them okay so i'll be very frank and say absolutely nothing to do with me <laughs> Nothing to do with me at all, but I'm delighted that we have podcasts because they're actually made by various members of Al-Anon who have felt some benefit of being in the fellowship. You know, it's a mutual aid, it's a peer support group. So what's suggested is that if you feel some benefit, irrespective of what happens in life, you try to give back, whether that be that you speak to a newcomer, whether you do some service. So some members got together and have created podcasts. And on the website, you, you will hear different um, stories from members about their journey, uh, essentially their experience, their strength and their hope. So there is... And I would, I would urge anybody who's got the time and would like to know a little bit more to, to look on the website, listen to the podcast, and see if you resonate. So there's some young people on there that have been in our Latin. There are older members. There are husbands. There are wives. There are brothers, sisters. So hopefully you will resonate with somebody's story. You might identify with them. You might be living the same life. Now, you have a helpline, as you mentioned at the beginning of our chat. Uh, I'll get you to give me yes. the number in a second, but what help is available and how is it run? Okay, so the helpline 
again, is run by members of Al-Anon. There are only actually three paid employees within Al-Anon, and they basically are in administrative posts. So the fellowship is run by the members as such, and the helpline is a really wonderful, a wonderful thing. You know, it's, um, it, it means that anybody can call a number free of charge from anywhere in the country and know that the person they're speaking to has got lived experience. They're not reading from a script. They're somebody who has been affected by somebody else's drinking. And what they will do is speak to you, answer any questions you may have. You might want to know where there's a live meeting, an in-person meeting. You might want to know if you can go to Zoom. And they will then connect you with somebody locally in your area. And really, it's as simple as that. You know, there's no big long questionnaires. It's just a conversation between somebody who is um, upset, most probably. You know, that's when you get, from our experience, you ring the helpline when you're upset. And genuinely, people ring the helpline because they want to get their alcoholic or, or drinker sober. That's what they ring up for. They want their magic cure. They want to know how you do it. They want advice. And sadly, there is no magic cure. No. But what there is... But there is hope. ...is somebody... Absolutely, there's hope. There's hope for you, and there's hope for your drinker as well. What's the number, Debbie, for the helpline? The number is 0800 0800 0086 Double one. Shall I say that again, Kai? Yes, please. So it's 0800-0086-811. And it's manned from 10am to 10pm every day. Lovely. And where can we find out more information about the help and support that Al-Anon provides? Okay. So people can just go into their browser and put um, Al-Anon UK in and it will bring you up lots of information or alternatively you can go to www.al so that's A-L then a hyphen Anon A-N-O-N UK dot org dot UK Okay so that's or, mm-hmm. or if people don't want to ring and they would like another method of contact. We have the option of you can actually make an email. Um, you can send an email and you can do that to inquiries at al-anonuk.org.uk. You can also look at other um, platforms. So you can look at Facebook and you can look at Instagram and you can look at Twitter. Lovely. So you're all on, on, on all of those platforms as well. We are now. We, we were kind of a little bit of a, a dinosaur, really, in the fact that it took us a few years to catch up with most people, but we're on there now. So in other words, if somebody wants to find out more about Al-Anon, there should be no barriers to do so. Okay. Debbie, what would you say, in closing, to somebody that's listening to this who has been affected uh, by alcohol, either directly or indirectly? I would say if you've been affected either directly or indirectly, either in the past or presently, that 
you might want to just look to yourself and see how it's affecting you. You know, do you have a washing machine head? Do you have irritable bowel? Do you have problems sleeping? Do you have problems eating? Is your behaviour erratic? Do you have mood swings? You know, do you behave violently at times? And some of us have, have, you know, with our loved ones. Mm -hmm. You know, can you be out of control? Do you cry? Are you depressed? Are you upset? We actually have a 20, uh, 20 questionnaire. Um, I've read it out actually on, on my show because you're aware that uh, we're in a very blessed position that we have once a month, um, we have the Al-Anon Hour, which is the first Saturday of the month at three o'clock uh, on Black Country Radio Extra. And on that show, we've actually read out the questions and there's 20 questions. And if you identify with five of those questions, then it's we would suggest that you reach out to Al-Anon. You know, there is no judgment in Al-Anon. You can turn up at a meeting, whether that's face-to-face -face or by Zoom. You don't have to give your proper name. You don't have to tell anybody your surname. So if you want to remain anonymous, um, for whatever reason, for fear or whatever reason, just so that you can feel more comfortable, that's absolutely okay. There are no real strong musts in Al-Anon. You know, it's just suggested. You know, if you come along, would you like to give your first name? You don't have to speak. You can just listen if you want to. Mm -hmm. You can ask to speak to somebody privately. That's fine. You know, there are no... All I can say, Clive, is I have never in my life um, stuck to anything for 16 years. No, no keep fit, no, um, no diet, no nothing. Mm. I've never given that much of my time to anything. But in Al-Anon, I've actually learned that I am so important and that my mental health and my physical health are really, really important that I give that time by going to a meeting. Um, and I do a lot of service. That's why I'm here tonight on the on the radio because I'm hoping that I will touch at least one person or more people. Um, because for every drinker, how many of us are affected? Mm -hmm. There are so many more of us, and really nobody speaks about us. We get forgotten as if we're invisible. You know, like we're a secret society, and we're absolutely not. Mm -hmm. You know, we are. We've been around for nearly as long as AA. For sure. a lot of us, we have found great comfort, great support, and we've learned to manage our lives. I've had many, many alcoholic deaths. My little sister tragically um, died an alcoholic death um, not too long ago, no, really. I'm sorry to hear that. And to, yeah, yeah, it's shocking, isn't it, really, mm. to have somebody, a nurse, come to you and say, actually, we've got to turn off the life support. Do you agree? Mm. You know? That's such a horrendous trauma for a family oh. to go through. And I'm not alone. I'm not the only person that's, ha that's happened to, you know. But that actually is where alcoholism can take somebody. You know, it can rob them of their lives and it robs us of our loved ones. So I would really, in earnest, you know, suggest to anybody, if you think somebody's drinking is a problem for you, it doesn't matter whether they think they're drinking the problem. You know, reach out, get some help, make a telephone call, Google, 
send an email. It costs absolutely nothing to come to email. Uh, sorry, to come to Al-Anon. It's absolutely free. Debbie from Al-Anon, thank you very much indeed for talking to Friday Night Live. That is your lot for this episode. You can catch the programme live every Friday night on Black Country Radio from 6 o'clock p.m. And if you like our podcast, please subscribe by heading to blackcountryradio.co.uk forward slash podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts from. See you very soon. This is a Black Country Radio podcast presented by me, Clive Payne, and produced by Andy Caddick.